0: This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, I, I can't hear the movie over the, all the gunfire.
1: Hello, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show that is the law. So what else was I going to do, really? <laughs> Uh, I'm Gepwin. I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi! And this week, we're taking a little break from our normal Star trek stuff to do a sci-fi movie. And I chose to do the 2012 action movie simply called Dread. Or Dread 3D, because it came out after Avatar. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so everything was 3D for a while. Yep, everything was 3D for a little
0: bit. Only Occasionally things are 3D, and it's more of a, uh, oh,
1: they had extra money to spend on something, so they did it. (laughs) So Dread is, of course, uh, based on the comic book character, not hero, anti-hero, sort of, fascist cop. uh, Guy.
0: Yes, Judge Dread. Uh, The guy with the helmet and uh, a gun and sort of a uniform thing going on here. And uh, he is a judge, jury, and executioner all wrapped up in one because we live in the future now.
1: Yes. He uh, first appeared in a British comic called 2000 AD in the 1970s Hmm. and has been going ever since.
0: So uh, now that we're well past 2000 AD, uh, well, I guess that means we live in their world now, right?
1: Well, actually, the comic, is though appearing in an anthology comic, uh, sci-fi thing called 2000 AD, the first Dread story is actually set in 2099. So
0: a little bit of our future.
1: Yeah, so we have a bit of time before World War Three. Yes,
0: And uh, we can either choose the uh, Star Trek future or the Judge Dread future.
1: I mean, we don't have a lot of good information between the, the 2060 Star Trek war and, you know, the 2200s. So there's a lot of yes. time for Judge <laughs> Dread to happen in the middle there.
0: True, uh, you know. So for all we know, uh, Mega City One is uh, you know part of the Star Trek uh, continuity, and uh, they're just really isolationist and pretend yeah. the rest of the world doesn't exist. Or, well, Mega City well, yeah. Two
1: would have San Francisco in it, and as far as we don't see a lot of the middle of the country in Star mm-hmm. Trek,
0: so you know, <laughs> I guess uh, the. Uh, Soon as we hear about anything uh, in the Midwest, uh, is Kirk's time, and that's you know a while after.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm sure someone knows this, but I actually don't know how far the city state of Texas extends in the middle of the country and in, in uh, dread, So well, c- could go anywhere really. <laughs> Maybe that's where Iowa is. I don't know.
0: <laughs> uh, s- someone born in Iowa. Uh, don't think I, I I like that sort of Texas encroachment.
1: <laughs> So yeah it's based on the comic um a reboot movie wise because this came out after the judge dread movie starring Sylvester stallone who it was fine it wasn't great it, w- it wasn't awful but it was very campy it was a very 90s superhero action movie sort of thing indeed
0: and uh Yeah, uh, featured uh, you know, Stallone of course, but also uh, uh, Rob Schneider as the wacky uh, sidekick.
1: Yeah, that sort of era, you know.
0: (laughs) So, uh, you know, uh, if you want the uh, the campy version of this, that's the one to check
1: out. (laughs) That one is actually closer to the comics because it actually follows an amalgamation of a couple of the comic storylines, develops the world a little bit more, shows the you know the cursed Earth etc but in a lot of ways it also departs from the comics a lot of comic fans are very mad at it because it diverts in several key areas including the fact that judge Dredd takes his helmet off for most of the movie
0: yes (laughs) well the uh version we're looking at today is uh you know he puts the helmet on in the dark at the beginning and never takes it off throughout the movie so
1: yes much more true to the comic you never see his face in this um this is C- then closer to the comic in some ways and not in others because they made it a much more grounded sort of realistic sci-fi as opposed to judge Dredd the comic which is very fantastical very over the top very like let's satirize the world through absurd situations
0: here we have you know it's like well uh, a lot of these vehicles are things that we could have today um like even like the drones it's just sort of like scaled up sort of uh, in terms of what they're all about here and yeah uh, yeah, the only
1: truly science fictiony things that they have that aren't just near future tech or essentially a magic handgun and a psychic yes and i guess you
0: know in some ways the mega construction of the towers but even still that's something that we could actually build now it just there's no reason to
1: yeah they have stuff like this this is just much bigger yes And it's like, oh yeah,
0: it's this uh, two hundred story tall building here, and uh, we're uh, going to do like thousands of them, uh, yeah, because uh, you know we got everyone who's now living in here in our city here.
1: Well, that's only a two hundred. I think the mega block in this is, says it's only got two hundred levels. Yes, but uh, one of the big apartment buildings, something we'll talk about later, is there's an apartment building that's very similar to this that exists in South Africa, and it it only has fifty four stories.
0: Yes, but it, you know these things. You know, uh, you know, can exist. Uh, they just don't exist in that kind of number.
1: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so of all the backstory. Uh, this movie was written by Alex Gardland, who's an English writer and filmmaker. He is known for writing films like Twenty Eight Days Later and uh, Sunshine, which are both very good movies. Mm-hmm. He also co-wrote the video game enslaved odyssey to the west which is a very interesting weird like narrative game that a lot of people love uh he also got into sci-fi movie making and directing as he directed ex machina and annihilation which are two movies we're gonna have to look at later yes uh
0: now i've not seen ex machina but i have seen annihilation and it's one of those movies that i both like and dislike for kind of The the reasons I like it are for good reasons. The uh, reason I don't like it is kind of a personal petty reason.
1: If you want a mind trip where you come away from the movie going, what in the world did I just see? Go watch Annihilation. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I'd recommend it. Even if I have weird, you know, (laughs) complications.
1: (laughs) And this movie was directed by Pete Travis, who's another British filmmaker. He's best known for his pretty nice little like uh cult classic movies like cold feet vantage point and endgame
0: hmm. uh, not the the marvel endgame
1: no just endgame yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh this movie didn't do super well it's it's got cult classic status now but it really really bombed when it came out for some reason uh bad marketing i would say yes uh, and uh
0: you know the I guess the, the general vibe uh, was that, you know, we kind of live in an a era with a lot of remakes and things like that right now. And people thought, oh, it's just another, you know, a cash grab, you know, remake sort of thing. But no, it's it's kind of divergent from the previous movie. So it's not quite that sort of thing here. Mm-hmm. It's a we're trying to do it better.
1: <laughs> so this has a pretty stacked up cast, even though uh, in some ways this movie was a little bit before a lot of them got really breakaway famous. Mm-hmm. Uh but a lot of people who were pretty well-known even at the time. Uh, starring Carl Urban as Dredd, who's a New Zealand actor, uh, had appearances in a lot of New Zealand-filmed shows like Xena Warrior Princess. Uh, he later became pretty well-known for playing Aeromir in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, mm-hmm. and uh, later he played uh, Dr. Leonard McCoy in the Star yes. Trek reboot films.
0: Yes, sir. Yeah, I'll... I, I just still, okay, you, know, you know, love the uh, the bit where uh, it's like you know, at least I'm not going to die alone. And then you know, Spock gets transported out. <laughs> uh, you know, a l- little bit more uh, recently, he's been in uh, the Boys as uh, Billy Butcher, and uh, yeah, it's a uh, it, it's it's an interesting role he's got going there, and uh, like a very intense character. And uh, well, this is also a really intense character here, Dread. So. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Then we have Olivia is playing Judge Anderson. She's had a long-established career beginning in 2006 with the film United 93 and the TV show Kidnapped. Mm. Uh, She became very well known for playing Leah in the breakout film Juno. And she's been in at least one movie a year since then. I'm not going to talk about all of them. (laughs)
0: Yeah, solitary man bored to death red knot uh detour and white orchid and artist in a field and so on and so forth
1: <laughs> yeah she's she's just going just just yes. off and going
0: <laughs> i have a movie uh, career let's go
1: <laughs> wood harris is playing k who's the central gang member that we encounter throughout the film uh he became pretty no- well known when he had sort of a breakout role in two very similar sports movies then uh Something the rim. I most miswrote this. The oh. basketball movie.
0: The oh, the uh oh Above the Rim.
1: There we go, Above the Rim. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Stupid auto, correct. Yeah. And in Remember the Titans, which I'm pretty sure is a football movie, was yeah. one of those
0: kinds of balls. <laughs> Yes, uh, I, remember the, uh, I remember the Titans uh, commercials from a while back, and I got so tired of them because I just kept overplaying them.
1: <laughs> uh, he was also in The Wire for three seasons, playing a character called Avon uh, Barksdale, who I've have never, have never seen The Wire. I'm sorry. Like, he became pretty well known for being in The Wire as a reoccurring character for three seasons. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. uh, he was also in uh, Southland Tales, which is on my uh, list of movies to maybe throw at you sometime.
1: Uh, Recently, he's been in more high-profile stuff. He was an Ant-Man. He's been in the Creed franchise and Mm -hmm. uh, in Blade Runner
0: 2049. Yes. Also in The Last OG.
1: Oh, yeah. I heard of that at some point. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I had not until just now. (laughs) Then Lena Hetty plays Mama she is an english actor her first movies were not particularly good there was something called summer house that didn't get very good reviews uh she was in she became better known in like american audiences for being in that weird brothers grim action movie <laughs> and the I cave which was a also a not very good action movie
0: <laughs> these are things that people remember
1: <laughs> but then later she played the uh, queen in 300 and she probably has her best known role more recently playing cersei lannister in the games of thrones tv show
0: so uh if you want a, a, a lady with poise but also sort of this vibe of she's going to stab you a lot this is probably the uh, person to go to
1: which is basically this character yeah yes <laughs> like she's going to she's gonna stab you yes as evidenced by several characters
0: and uh it just you know a matter of what kind of stabbing you know be it with a knife uh you know maybe a bullet or you know something else more mm-hmm. creative
1: <laughs> and finally even though that's our main cast i wanted to mention uh Hall gleason is playing the clan techie he doesn't even get a name in the damn movie he's one of the more interesting characters and he doesn't get a ton of development but I wanted to mention him because you would never guess from watching this that this is General Hux from the recent Star Wars trilogy.
0: Yes. <laughs> you know, he's a, he's a, a very different uh, sort of character here. Uh, you know, General Hux is, you know, self-assured, you know, s- you know standing tall and, you know, trying to be, uh, you know, uh, you know everyone is bow to me and my authority sort of stuff here. Well, this guy is more of a, please don't hurt me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the poor abused tech guy who needed character development.
0: Mm-hmm. It doesn't even get a name.
1: Yeah, so I'm kind of curious to see how quick we get through this because it's a very action movie. I'm gonna have to skip over a lot of things. There are there are minutes long fight scenes with no dialogue in this thing. Yes, it's like look, pretty bullets flying everywhere,
0: <laughs> and uh, lots of sparkliness here.
1: Yeah. So we have Mega City 1, a city of 800 million people living in a decaying urban sprawl that is stretching from Boston to Washington, D.C. Outside of the walled city is an irradiated wasteland called the Cursed Earth where nothing can live or grow.
0: So uh, definitely something um, not so nice happened here.
1: They don't go into it in this, but Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The only force fighting for order in the chaos, according to our narrator, is the Hall of Justice, whose officers are judge, jury, and executioner, simply known as the Judges.
0: Wait a moment. What, what'd they do with Superman and the rest of the Super Friends?
1: <laughs> and Superman would probably be executed as an immigrant or mutant in this.
0: Yes. <laughs> well, at least they try.
1: <laughs> so we find Judge Dredd, our titular character, in pursuit of a vehicle driving erratically, The passengers are taking a inhaler-based drug that sends the world into slow motion and gives a super-saturated color, which is where we get a lot of the really pretty visuals of this decayed wasteland of a movie.
0: Indeed. So the sparkliness and the the weird color effects, and it's sort of like, all right, if you didn't know what was going on in terms of what you were watching, you might think it's like, oh, this is a strange art movie,
1: huh? Uh, They're suddenly brought back to reality when they notice they're being pursued by a judge, which has convinced most of them that they are just dead. Yes.
0: Well, uh, I guess... uh, It's been a a fun time, you know, rocking the drugs with you guys. But, yeah, we got a a problem.
1: Uh, They swerve their way through traffic, shooting at Dredd sporadically until they run over a random citizen, which allows Dredd to start opening fire, taking out their tires, causing the van to crash. Uh, He puts his bike in automated crowd control mode, which is one of the little nice touches of like, this is a cop working completely alone to the point where his motorcycle has to automatedly yell, please stand back from the crime scene. Yes. So uh,
0: it's like if folks didn't know what was going on here with the uh, scary guy with the helmet and the people shooting everyone... You know, this is maybe a good reason to maybe get out of there as soon as possible.
1: Uh, most of the car's inhabitants died in the crash, but Dred follows some gunfire into a food court where there are multiple dead and wounded, and the PA on the food cart is announcing that it's unfortunately temporarily closed. <laughs> well, I wonder why. <laughs> the remaining passenger has taken a woman hostage. Dredd offers him a choice of life in the ISO cubes if he lets the girl go, or he's just going to kill him. Yes, that's it's his like negotiation.
0: It's like uh, this doesn't seem like a like a deal at all here, Judge. Mm-hmm. Come on.
1: The perpetrator refuses to comply, and Dread uses a voice-activated gun to activate a hotshot round that just burns through the guy's head. And yes, saves the and, hostage. And uh,
0: so there's a, a bit of, uh, you know, uh, sizzling and pop. He's dead.
1: I don't know if it's what was intended in the scene here in the comics. The hot shot round, in addition to being hot and burning things, is a guided heat seeking bullet, which may be why he used it for the close shooting hostage situation. Yes.
0: Yeah, well, I- Go for the uh, uh, point that is the, uh, the hottest, which is probably the uh, guy, uh, you know, uh, uh, chatting his uh, mouth off here. Uh, and so it's sort of going to go after that bit of your mouth that's just a little higher at your temperature mm-hmm. because it's, you know, kind of inside your body almost.
1: So this completely normal run-of-the-mill police situation dealt with. Dred's called back to the Hall of Justice to meet with the head judge. And the food court will reopen in 30 minutes. We apologize for the inconvenience.
0: Yes. Got to pick up all the bodies and uh, yeah, you just,
1: you know, random people all over the place who are dead. He also calls in for the coroner to come in for the EMTs and body recycling. Yes. So uh
0: got some uh, robots here to clean up.
1: So at the Hall of Justice, Dredd is introduced to Cadet Anderson, who was orphaned because she lived too close to the wall and her family all got cancer. Hmm,
0: That, that sounds like a an awful thing. Maybe we should move away
1: from the wall, just like everybody. <laughs> well, then where would you put all the people? There's sprawl, etc. Urban decay. Well, maybe in some sort of large uh, tower blocks. She, like all orphaned children, came on the drug entrance exam. She didn't pass, but she was bumped into the academy anyway, uh, where she didn't pass. And Judge's like, well, why is she here then if she did not pass? <laughs> this seems a little unusual. The chief judge reveals that she's actually a mutant, a side effect of growing up close to the perimeter walls where there's all the radiation. She is the most powerful psychic that the judges have ever encountered. So we're going to ignore her mutant status and that she failed the judge assessment test. And she's going out with you to see if she lives.
0: Well, uh, this is very unusual, uh, Dread. You seem like a very... Uh by-the-book sort of fellow here, despite all the uh, uh, deaths so far today. But, uh, you know, uh, I guess you gotta go with a slight bending of the rules this time. All right.
1: What's interesting, this does characterize Dred pretty well for this really short scene, because the head judge is arguing that she barely failed. It's Mm -hmm. marginal. He goes, she failed by the book. She shouldn't belong in uniform. And then the judge says, nope, you're doing your job, that's an order, and he fails to question any of it. So you see that not only is he by the book character, he's also a very chain of command by the book character.
0: Yes. uh, I don't
1: agree with what's written down, but my superior officer has ordered me to overrule it. So uh, he's
0: going to uh, follow the uh, procedure, uh, be it the rules or what he's being ordered to, so... That's Judge Dredd. We have gotten his characterization.
1: So, we are introduced to a mega block, which is a giant apartment, live, work, eat facility. Malls, food courts, apartment buildings, jobs, etc. Even a little uh, medical bay. This one is known as Peach Trees. Uh, one of Mama's lieutenants has brought her three drug pushers who were from an outside gang and they were selling product in her territory. And they need to be made an example of. So she orders them to be skinned alive, given the time-slowing drug, and dropped off the 200th level of the balcony.
0: Well, uh, that sounds horrific. Um, yeah. Can't yeah. really say much more than that.
1: <laughs> and we get it immediately because she seems so bored with the situation. She's like, why am I being interrupted? Oh, some day-to-day enforcement stuff. I don't know. Kill them horrifically.
0: hmm <laughs> Just so casual with the brutality.
1: So, so far we've been introduced to two main characters and we've got an immediate characterization of each one in about three lines of dialogue. Indeed. So, a very efficient movie so far. So, Dread begins Anderson's assessment. Uh, One in five recruits don't survive the first day. She'll need to carry out sentencing and punishment of perpetrators, including possible executions. Incorrect sentencing is an automatic fail. Disobeying an order is an automatic fail. Losing your weapon is an automatic fail. So, uh,
0: remember all this, kids. Well,
1: this is important. There are 12 serious crimes reported in the megacity every minute, about 17,000 a day. Judges can respond to about 6%, which 6 is up to her because her assessment is now going. She checks the police board and chooses the triple homicide that just happened in Peachtree's.
0: Yeah, this seems like a serious crime. And uh, so, while uh, we. Thus worthy of our time.
1: So they arrive at the mega complex block. 75,000 registered citizens, unemployment rate of 96%, more than half the building classified as slums, highest crime rate in the sector. Well, uh,
0: I guess this is uh, quite the place to get your assessment done. Kind of uh, going into the, uh, the fire,
1: as they say. So Dredd thinks that a place like this is kind of a lost cause and questions why Anderson wanted to bother with it. She says she grew up in a place like this, and she knows that most people here are just general everyday citizens trying to live.
0: So, you know, maybe you can you know do a little bit of a difference for some of them, uh, You know, even if it's not much, you know?
1: They meet TJ, who's the local paramedic who runs the medical center. He has three bodies that he's been able to sort of identify despite their horrific condition and the blood being all mixed mm-hmm.
0: up. <laughs> yeah, when someone's skinned and dropped from such a height... Yeah, the, uh, the splat is kind of um, extensive.
1: Yeah. <laughs> also, all three have cold burns on their lips from the slow-mo inher- inhalers, which is the hot new drug that makes time feel like it's moving at 1% speed.
0: Hmm. Well, uh, I guess we uh, now uh, know that they're obviously drug peddlers or users or something. Uh, what's your assessment, Gepwin?
1: Well, so they were all small-time junkies. Uh, Anderson says that given the brutality and public nature of the killings, it was probably a punishment. TJ agrees and informs them about the Mama clan. Uh, Here we get Mama's backstory. Yeah, so
0: uh, she was uh, apparently a sex worker who uh, had a a bit of a bad time and uh, uh, got some scars as a result.
1: Yeah, she was cut up by a pimp and then she arrived at Peachtree's and proceeded to push out the three existing gangs that were there until her gang controlled the entire thing, level 200 on down.
0: So uh, a fairly effective uh, takeover of the block here.
1: And all without judges ever hearing about it because it's a slum and the judges don't bother with what's going on. Yeah, so uh, we got a uh, a
0: high crime area that is just sort of being ignored generally, so... uh you know, someone has decided that they're going to build themselves some sort of little empire here and go unchallenged for years at a time.
1: So the decided course of action is to find where the gang is operating on this level and hit it really hard. So
0: to sort of make a, uh, a reverse statement, as you were.
1: So you we have Kay, who's running a small time little drug den with few gang members selling slow-mo to block residents. Dredd and Anderson burst their way in, having a very slow-motion-induced gunfight with very saturated blood and things happening.
0: Yes, uh, you know, we got a couple junkies that uh, just took their hit right before they came in, and so, uh, we kind of get it from their perspective.
1: So they take out everybody who's a threat in a matter of seconds, and they're mopping up the rest, handcuffing everybody, until Anderson senses that Kay is one of the men who committed the murders. So your psychic powers have come into uh, effect here. But they can't execute a suspect based on a psychic reading, so they decide yes. to take him in for questioning. Yeah, so, uh,
0: That means we got uh, uh someone to do an escort mission with. So let's get him out of the building as quick as possible.
1: So Mama's resident hacker, a very scared-looking, abused man with robotic eyes because Mama ripped out his eyes with her bare hands Mm -hmm. in a flashback that we keep seeing, reports that Kay is being taken in for questioning, and Mama's gang immediately takes control of the block, calls the city's control center to fake its way into a defense system test, and the emergency services are notified to ignore everything that's happening on the block because they're just having a test. It's fine.
0: Yeah. So uh, if something explodes, it's just, well, it's one of our Jake's a malfunction, And we'll talk about it to you guys later. How about that?
1: So giant blast doors close every window, the main entrance, and even the roof, because this is hardening against a nuclear attack.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, the the building will be able to survive the World War Four, I guess. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no one's getting in or out. So Mama patches into the intercom. She wants the two judges dead. Every gang member to be on high alert. Everyone else, stay out of the way.
0: Yeah, uh, so, you know, it's just clear of the floors. You know, you don't want to get shot by one of our guys. Yeah, we're, we're doing a courtesy for everyone and also makes our job to hunt down the judges easier. So, you know.
1: So Dredd and Anderson are now trapped. They're cut off from comms. They're carrying a hostile through enemy territory. Mm-hmm. And they decide to make their way towards the med center because that's probably a defensible area in the building.
0: Yeah, so, you, you know, a place to sort of bunker down and you'll be able to, uh, you know, resist most uh, attempts to uh, to break in there, so.
1: So they get rid of a few gang members who are attacking them along the way until they run into an intended ambush outside of the med center. Dredd does a police warning thingy because protocol is very important to him, and even in this life and death live fire situation.
0: Mm-hmm. So, uh. Here's a little broadcast for all of you, and uh, we're going to you know, just happen to drop our uh, stun grenade between your feet while you're not paying attention during that process, just in case you may d- need to make use of it. You know, in case you're uh, not willing to uh, surrender so easily.
1: Yeah, drop your weapons, or we have to use lethal force. Uh, the stun grenade goes off because they do not agree, and yeah. <laughs> they shoot up the place. Anderson has to execute a wounded man because he had the attempted murder of a judge, death mm-hmm. sentence. This is the first time that we have to see her kill someone outside of pure self-defense.
0: Yes, and uh, she gets a good look into his eyes, and uh, he's kind of there pleading with his hands still on the weapon, and she's like, uh, you know, this is going to be your old yeller moment, isn't it?
1: Yep, she's very shaken. Yeah. We get this whole first part where she's shaken, doesn't know what she's doing, is unconfident in her ability. And then blam. Dredd tells TJ the paramedic to open up, but he refuses because the medical office needs to remain neutral ground. Dredd's a bit angry and aggressive about this, but he does leave, even though mm-hmm. he could probably threaten to arrest and kill the guy for interfering with their judge activities. Indeed.
0: You know, is it a question of uh, you know, technically he's in the right to uh you know keep the door locked in such a situation, or you know, he understands the logic of the situation that to uh, open up the store would be putting the, the uh, you, know, uh, you know, EMT there at risk, or uh, is there something else going on here?
1: Yeah. You get a bit of this like, Judge Dredd is the letter of the law, but he was going to bend it in some ways for his own reasons that we don't really understand because he's a very silent character. Mm-hmm. So they head off, decide that they need to hide, conserve in- ammunition, make their way through here, and just survive until they can get back up.
0: So, uh, Time to uh, go on a a hiding spree, I guess.
1: Yeah. They soon get pinned down in a hallway by some gang member patrols. Uh, Anderson's able to use her abilities to call the woman in the nearby apartment by name and convince her to let them inside, where they hide until the gang passes by. The woman just wants them gone, far away. Yeah. Get away from my family, go use the elevator, get off of my floor. Yeah, you just go anywhere else but here, please. And when they're leaving, Anderson notices a picture, and she sees that the woman's husband was the man that she just had to execute.
0: Whoops, uh, yeah, so, uh, the lady here is like, yeah, my husband's out there, uh, looking for you guys, uh, and I don't want him dead, so please just leave. Mm -hmm.
1: Whoops. So the judges head to the service elevator and make their way up. Um, the techie finds them on level 76 and Mama locks it down. Gates closed the bin. They can't move. But for some reason, the gang doesn't come and attack them immediately, which makes the dread suspicious. And he goes off to investigate while Kay does his best to antagonize Anderson. Yes. And uh,
0: it's like, all right, Anderson, uh, go hide by the uh, the elevator there. It's a uh, nice, good defensive uh, position. And uh Keep track of Kay while I go take care of business.
1: So Dredd reaches the balcony just in time to see Mama's gang setting up three miniguns across the way. Oh, dear. Huh. So Dredd runs back to Anderson with, you know, Gatling gunfire, indiscriminately killing everyone on the level, setting fires, explosions, all that jazz.
0: And uh, possibly killing all the people people on the levels below and above as well. Yeah. Because, you know, they're not exactly... Uh, precision weapon sees
1: so they're hiding behind the elevator for a little bit in a bad situation when one of the bullets puts a hole in the wall and they see light so it's <laughs> an exterior wall dread blows it up with a high explosive round and they jump out into a balcony side skate park
0: hmm. Well, that's uh convenient that that's there and but we had seen it earlier uh, we just didn't know what level it was on
1: yeah it's it's a little odd that the only thing jutting out of the side of this building is a skate park but there you go <laughs>
0: yeah this is probably one of those uh You know, uh, we need a certain amount of, like, extra water pumps up to this level, and then we don't really need them further up. And, yeah, it wouldn't make sense to put things above it. So we'll just kind of have a thing here, just kind of jutting out of the
1: building. So now that they're outside, they can call for backup. They can't stay where they are because they'll be found. They need to go back inside and continue fighting their way through the gang.
0: Hmm. Well, uh... Yeah, it'd be nice if we had a jetpack, but unfortunately this helmet business doesn't mean we're Boba Fett here, so uh, let's go back inside, I guess, and possibly get you know shot up a thousand times.
1: So Dredd tanks out all the men that Mama sent looking for them, and then they find an empty room and start to interrogate Kay, because this level of destruction, just to try to take out two judges, seems a bit extreme even for this kind of gang.
0: Indeed. So uh, Kay, tell us what you know. Uh, yeah. Judge, Dred here will punch you until you tell us things.
1: So Dredd gets nowhere with the general beatings, etc. So Anderson comes in because she can get the information without him needing to, you know, talk.
0: Ah. Well, I, I guess, uh, you know, uh, torture isn't going to work here. So I guess that's a good message for the film.
1: So she goes into Kay's mind. He tries to fight her with some abusive and sexual imagery. But she's in her element, and he can't really do anything to hurt her, and soon she completely breaks him with horrid memories and images and things that we don't really see.
0: Yeah, it was sort of flashes and glimpses of uh, the the most messed up stuff,
1: Mm -hmm. but we don't quite get to register what it actually is. So it turns out the thing that Mama didn't want them to know is that Peachtree's is not just where her gang is headquartered, it's the manufacturing facility for all the slow-mo in the entire city.
0: Oh. Well, I guess that, uh, kind of makes sense that you would put, uh, the thing you don't want to get, uh, spotted by one of these judge fellows, uh, right here in the sort of place that they don't check ever. Mm-hmm. So yeah,
1: makes sense. Back outside. We have their backup arrive. It's two judges who are like, well, we can't get into the building. I guess we just wait here. Darn.
0: <laughs> well, uh, this is just to hang out time, I guess. Uh, how are you? How's the kids? <laughs>
1: So now the situation's changed. The judges have new information. They have backup inbound. Anderson has to choose whether they keep moving or defend. Or as Dredd points out, they go on the attack. Hmm. So
0: It's time to uh, see how many bullets we have left.
1: Yeah. So they start moving to go confront Mama, maybe take her out because she's guilty of drug manufacture and trying to kill them all.
0: Yes, and... uh you know at the very least accessory to several murders, and uh, you know uh, we did see her uh, you know shooting up the place with the uh, Gatling guns earlier, so you know very directly involved in murder. So uh, in terms of the uh, justice system of this place, that means yeah they got a killer.
1: So they start to move, but they're soon pursued by two kids who hold them at gunpoint, obviously wanting to be part of or are very young members of the gang. Yes,
0: and they're kind of fumbling <laughs> overall, <laughs>
1: like but. Can we, can we do this i don't know man <laughs> yeah dread's incredibly unconcerned they're like freeze mm-hmm. why yeah <laughs> you <know? laughs>
0: like you obviously don't know what you're doing why should i do what you're saying
1: at all <laughs> he does threaten them with deadly force at one point but uh mostly Kay uses this as a distraction to get his hands free grabs anderson and drags him into an elevator while Dr- it stuns the two kids yes
0: so uh, the two kids, uh, who are you know you know most likely uh, under eighteen and thus minors, are going to come through out, through this a okay.
1: Yeah, he de- he threatens them with deadly force at one point, but apparently it was a bluff because he immediately sets his gun to non lethal and takes yes. out the two children. Even though it's difficult so, to know for, with the legal system, he probably could kill them if he wanted to. Yes, but uh,
0: I guess uh, this movie. You know, kind of goes out of its way to a certain degree to show that there are kids that are not, not getting horrifically ki- killed. Mm-hmm. Like uh, after the Gatling gun bit, uh, the uh, the one kid that you see beforehand uh, kind of comes out of the uh, the wreckage and is like the only person sur- you know surviving in the area of uh, most intense uh,
1: you know fire there. So Kay takes Anderson to Mama. Um, possibly, luckily, Mama orders that they can't do anything horrific to her because they need it to look like a drug raid gone bad. Mm-hmm. So just shooting. No torture, etc.
0: So yeah, we're gonna you know, go one uh, judge is going to be found at the uh, the drug den. The other one's going to be found at uh, some other place nearby.
1: Nama's also very mad at Kay for getting captured and not dying or killing them and getting them into this mess in the first place. Mm-hmm. So uh, you
0: know, <laughs> the only reason you're not getting you know horribly tortured right now is uh, because you know we are kind of low on people right now. So
1: you know. So meanwhile, Dread has placed himself on the PA system. He. A- announces Mama is guilty of a number of crimes and sentenced to death, and anyone obstructing him from carrying out his duty is going to be considered her associate. An accessory to all those murders. Uh, the PA let the techie track Dredd's location, and the gang closes in, but they find that instead he's set a trap for them because there's a decoy inside, and Dread sets the entire level on fire. Hmm. Well, uh, I guess that's one way to deal with a group of people. So Mama decides that with all this going on, maybe it's time to call the police. Yes. You yeah, know, well, hell, there's a bad man trying to murder us. So, four judges Wait. respond to her call. They blow past the two judges who are waiting outside because they just say, "Hey, open the door." And then they do.
0: <laughs> like, "Well, oh, uh, I get we could do that."
1: Oh. They tell the two waiting judges to leave, and the four lay out a scenario in which the two judges initiated a turf war and got themselves killed tragically. Uh, TJ sees the reinforcements and go out to tell them what's going on, that the judges are still alive, and that he'll help them find them. But unfortunately, they shoot him because they don't want any witnesses. Yes, So, uh,
0: sorry, TJ, but uh, this is the, uh, you know, the end of the line for you, because uh, we now have, a st- we have to establish that these guys are actually bad guys.
1: Mm-hmm. So they head up to meet Mama and establish that she's paying them a million credits to take out Dredd, and they advise that she kill Anderson and tie up some loose ends.
0: So uh, I guess we now have a, 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 a end game boss situation here, sort of. Dread versus his own sorts of folks, ah,
1: corrupt judges. Yeah. So one of the judges finds Dread responding to his stress call. Hey, you can relax now. Dread goes, "Hey, why aren't you worried about the other one?" And then proceeds to just kill him. Yeah,
0: he's like, "Oh yeah, crap, I messed up and I let on that we're only pursuing you." Whoops. Yeah.
1: So uh, Kay is tasked with executing Anderson he gloats a bit talks about how it's it's just okay she's just can't handle this kind of life she would have got killed eventually and gets to kill her with her own fancy judge gun which she's very excited about even though he <laughs> doesn't realize the thing has a dna lock on it and it explodes yes so uh he's been disarmed uh she then kicks him to death you know with the flying spin kick and heads out to take out two guards and steal their weapons so uh
0: I guess, uh, you know, don't ch- uh, uh, consider a judge out just because they're tied up and you have their gun.
1: Yeah. Uh, one of the other judges decides to go after her saying, well, she'll still see me and trust me and then I can just shoot her and it'll all be done.
0: Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hopefully she's not like some sort of crazy psychic or something like that, right? Yeah.
1: So the leader of the bad judges finds dread inside of the drug lab. They, cow- they cat and mouse it for a bit. Uh, Dredd uses his last round to take out his friend who's trying to sneak around him with a shotgun. And now he's just pinned down and out of ammo.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, this sucks. And uh, yeah, the, the other guy's like, I'm going to use some armor-piercing shots to uh, get through this wall between us. So, you know, hold still, Dredd.
1: Yeah. Anderson's found by the judge that went after her. And as soon as she sees her and reads her mind, she just shoots her and keeps moving. Yep. <laughs> it's actually <laughs> one of my yeah, she favorite... Was a psychic. It's one of my favorite <laughs> psychic scenes because they don't do anything. You know she's a psychic. It's been so well established at this point. Mm-hmm. So she's just walking down the hallway. Goes that person's going to kill me and just shoots and moves on.
0: Yep. So uh, <laughs> everything's all well established and we just sort of need to turn the crank.
1: So the final judge shoots Dredd, like he said, and uh, prepares to come around and finish him off with a headshot. Dred goes, no, wait. And the judge just goes on this giant tear about being disappointed. <laughs> and had the great Judge Dredd is afraid to die. Oh, my God. What do you want me to give you? A few extra seconds of life? Then Anderson shoots him in the back.
0: <laughs> no, you idiot. <laughs> I wanted you to wait so the other, you know, my, my partner can shoot you.
1: <laughs> so Dredd uses a field med kit to patch himself up. Um, a la Predator. Mm-hmm. And he reloads from the corrupt judge's ammo packs. And Tread and Anderson are ready to make their way to Mama's stronghold. And they take out several guards and find the techie. Begs for his life because he knows the code. Um, Anderson reads his mind so that they can make sure he's not lying to them. Sees him getting threatened and abused and almost murdered, etc. So she gets the code and just tells him to go.
0: Yes. It's like, yeah, this person's uh, not really here of his own free will. So, yeah, he's more victim than a perpetrator here.
1: Dred goes, hey, you just let a criminal go free. What's, what's up? And she says that she knows she failed because, you know, she lost her primary weapon, which was one of the automatic fail points. But until the assessment's officially over, she can still dispense judge- justice. And this dude is more of a victim than anybody else here. And he can go free. It's
0: like, well, I guess I can't really argue with that. Drat.
1: <laughs> so they confront Mama, who's activated a small device in her wrist. Uh, Dredd and Anderson take out the few remaining guards. Anderson gets wounded and goes down in the melee. Uh, Mama then explains that she knew that it was only a matter of time until they got raided, so she's rigged the entire level with enough explosives to bring down the entire building and linked it to the transmitter on her wrist that's going to set them off the minute her heart stops.
0: Well, that sucks. Um, I guess we gotta let you go or something like that because we don't want to get exploded or everyone else here exploded because, you know, but Maybe there's a way to get around this little dead man switch situation.
1: Well, Dredd is kind of done negotiating at this point. He shoots her in the stomach so she doesn't die immediately. He drags her over to the balcony. He goes, we're a kilometer above ground. Do you think that that transmitter can get through 200 levels of concrete? Yep. (laughs) So,
0: uh, let's find out.
1: So he decides to give her slow-mo like she gave the other guys at the beginning and drops her off of the balcony. Whee! She gets slow-mo Splat- falls through all of the devastation that she wrought on all of the lower floors until she finally lands next to the other three men that she killed. And mm-hmm.
0: a uh, kind of artistic sort of uh, splattering there. Mm-hmm.
1: So the block opens back up. Medical units and judges flood inside. Anderson's assessment is officially over. And she hands her badge back to Dredd because she knows she, she failed. And the chief judge comes up to see what in the world happened. Dredd's like, ah, no, no. Drug dust. Pretty normal day, honestly.
0: (laughs) This kind of thing happens all the time. It's fine.
1: (laughs) Then the head judge goes, so how did Anderson do? He says, well, she passed.
0: Oh, I guess uh, the automatic fails were not quite as automatic.
1: Yep. Hmm. Then they all do a repraise of, you know, we're keeping order in the chaos, etc. And we just see them go off to do it all again.
0: Yeah, uh this is just another day here in Mega City One where we gotta fight massive drug lords and their army of goons in giant towers every day.
1: Right? Yeah. That's how it works. That's 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 the thing. Yes. It's a dread. <laughs> so I'm actually curious. I didn't ask you before, but I'm curious because I think it's somewhat central to the question of how much this movie succeeded or failed as its own sort of little adaptation of the source material and as the messaging that it is probably trying to do, given the thing that it's adapting. How familiar are you with Judge dread, the comic? Uh,
0: not super familiar. Uh, familiar with some of the basic elements, such as Mega City One, dread helmet. Uh, you know, sort of the uh, uh, general. Uh, you know, sort of, I guess be the commentary on various uh, you know, uh, you know, aspects of our society and kind of just turning it up to 11 uh, to uh, sort of point out the absurdities of it all.
1: So right now we've got basically like three, little, three basic opinions of this thing because I'm quite familiar with the source material. I've been a fan of the comics for a long time. I haven't read all of them, but any time I've come across any, I've grabbed them and mm-hmm. I know a decent amount about the world. I played the horrible video game. Judge Dredd versus Judge Death. <laughs> I know who Judge Death is. Yeah.
0: <laughs> not to confuse with Death Head, which is a different character.
1: I had read the Judge Dredd's clone brother Rico storyline before I saw the Stallone movie, so <laughs> I'm pretty familiar with the world this is set in. And then I watched this with my partner who basically had not engaged with Judge Dredd at all beyond knowing it is sort of a pop culture thing. Mm-hmm. Um so the real question is the, the the original source material is incredibly satirical, very cutting to American and British like police practices, it has a lot of very sort of obviously left-leaning storylines about fascism and the way that it manipulates people into subverting their own interests and the police state observation the way that it can manipulate protests and other entities to its own ends to be able to maintain a status quo mm-hmm. and that's very well done in the comics to the place where you aren't exactly on anybody's side they're all sort of villains and that's sort of the point is they're they're pushing all this fascist police state stuff to such an extreme that you can look at it and see it as somewhat ridiculous and harmful and awful.
0: Yeah. It's like, you shouldn't be expected that everything's awful given what you're doing to try to control the awfulness here. So maybe it would be better to go a different route?
1: <laughs> and it's pretty interesting in the way that it puts forth its political perspectives because the main character, our point of view character in a lot of the stories, being Judge Dredd, is a fascist he is a pro police state fascist and Mm -hmm. he will express that political opinion to people and you know it's like
0: I'm going to follow the uh, my orders going to follow the rules and I'm going to make sure everyone else does too or else
1: yeah this is a post apocalyptic world they have this whole like we tried democracy look where it got us this is the only system we have and anything else could possibly be worse sort of mentality
0: I don't know about that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, I'm put the meme here of the uh, the guy from uh, L.A. Noir going, doubt.
1: <laughs> so the thing with this movie as an adaptation, in a lot of ways, it's a really, really good adaptation. It kept a lot of the elements from the original comic. It kept a lot of the stylization. It turned it into a really interesting, fast-paced action movie. Mm-hmm. But what it did in service of being a really good action movie was take a lot of the satirical elements and sort of put them into the world building in the background. Yes. And my overall question on how it fared as a piece of science fiction adaptation is if you don't know to look for them, how much are they actually there?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. You know, as uh, you know, someone who has seen parts of this movie almost the entirety before my watch throughs for this uh uh, recording here uh you know i was more focused on the action but you know except for the parts that i'd not actually gotten to see before uh, this time i was able to sort of like kind of take it a little bit slower and kind of take in more of the surrounding world there it's like oh yeah there's you know sort of really ridiculous advertising going on here and here over here is uh some uh graffiti that is kind of interesting to look at because you know it's sort of Touches upon stuff that we're not really being told about in terms of what's going on in the main sort of action here, but is you know hinting at attitudes and uh, you know events going on in the greater world.
1: When I finished my first watch through for this with my partner, I asked them what they thought, and the the initial reaction that I got from them, as someone who's not very familiar with the source material, was, "Were we supposed to be on his side?"
0: <laughs> That's a very good question to ask, and uh, the. The answer is, um, he's the protagonist, but he's not a good guy. And, uh, so you can, uh, it is one of those things where probably not, maybe the best person's side to be on is like the, the medical doctor guy there, mm-hmm. even though he
1: dies. This movie I think does an okay job of like showing a bunch of different sides of how bad things are. Mm-hmm. Like dread, you're not supposed to be on his side, except that you are as the like, central protagonist character but you can't really endorse his methods you can't really endorse his ideology at i saw this this thing that i'd missed that at one point when he's giving people the like police warning he says you have 20 seconds to drop your weapons which is very obviously uh the same line that you have from ed 209 in the robocop Mm -hmm. films yes
0: (laughs) drop your weapons here and uh well, uh, if you do or not, he might, he's going to be coming around that corner, and uh, who knows if he's actually going to notice if you had or not.
1: So it was a quote from from the original creator of Judge Dredd, like, interviewed about the the character. And he said his his design philosophy was basically, everyone loves a good hero, and everyone loves a good villain. So I made them one character.
0: <laughs> That's a good way to sort of describe it, yeah. So... This guy is kind of a monster when you think about it, uh, but he's also trying to fight the bad guys. And
1: uh, yeah, uh, I think that, like you know, your your actual kind of point of view character for the movie is Anderson. She's the one that you're more on the side of. She's more the main character than Dread is, yes. as someone who has actual character development.
0: Yeah, she's not really been, uh, you know, indoctrinated into the the the, the police system here because. She's obviously been someone who hasn't quite clicked with it and has failed all her assessments up until this point. So, you know, she's someone who's not fully on board quite yet with all of that, and thus is actually someone we can relate to, even though she's, you know, some sort of a a crazy psychic person who's uh, able to, like, mind-bend you crazy ways.
1: Well, her whole thing is that she comes in, she says she thinks she can make a difference in this horrible, horrible system, and this entire episode of her life is essentially her indoctrination into the police system mm-hmm. because she's thrown into a life and death situation she has to make a lot of horrible decisions to survive and the only thing that she cites is being able to do what she wanted to do for the job the only time she cites herself being able to make a difference is the one time in the entire movie that she gets to not kill somebody
0: yeah it's like i'm making a decision here you know this that might be a, something you don't like a, a judge but uh, I'm still on the clock here, so I'm going to make this decision.
1: But Ah. as you're shown through the entire movie, every single person that they interact with in here is in the same situation as the techie is. Mm -hmm. They're all in this horrible, abusive gang. They're all being forced into this situation. The only difference between every other person in the movie who gets killed and the techie is that Mama didn't force a gun into his hand.
0: Yes, you know, uh, you know, I, I still think of the, uh, you know, the lady that they hide out with there and, you know, it was sort of a, you know, the moment there we already described there, uh, with sort of respect to our husband there. And it kind of brings the question of, all right, so is maybe just every, like, uh, you know, uh, guy in this entire building sort of being forced to work for mama at this point? Cause well, that kind of means that they're not, you know, they're draftees effectively. They're being, uh, you know, compelled to uh, work and wield violence against others, you know, all to behest of uh, uh, an overlord here.
1: And they also have to do that because they've been completely abandoned, even by the corrupt system that is put in place to run things. Mm-hmm. Like this place, they said, has 96% unemployment. Um, we don't know what's going on politically exactly, but we don't really get the sense that there's much of a social welfare program going on in this city.
0: Indeed, you know, it's like, you know... Maybe the there's some basic food assistance, but if there's even that, then, you know, there's still other things people need to, you know, survive. So it's sort of a, uh, they're kind of don't have any sort of other out, uh, way out other than either go to uh, a life of crime, which is potentially a death sentence. Or, you know, sign up uh you know to be a judge themselves potentially.
1: So I think overall, like you you see the elements there. If you if you care to look, you see a lot of the critique of the structural problems that you have in this police state entity, which is one of the things that makes Judge Dredd an interesting character. Because he is a hero, he's a very heroic character, he's the best at what he does, he's someone to to deify and look up to. But he's the hero of a fascist system.
0: There's a reason that uh, there's a, a, a brief bit with uh, negotiating the negotiation over the price here. And it's like, like, you know, a million, that seems a little hind. Like, you don't, you, do you know who you're up against? We do. <laughs> uh, and it's like, yeah, this guy is sort of our paragon. We, this isn't going to be easy.
1: But if you look around in the movie, everything else surrounding him is dingy and awful. And like, basically our level of technology the only people mm-hmm. in this movie who have science fiction gear are the cops. Yeah, like I was pointing out with like the, with like the food court fight. They closed the food court for thirty minutes because there was a shooting. Yes, like because and, this uh, is just such a run of the mill occurrence that a judge is going to run in there, kill a bunch of people, and leave you to mop it up. That they have a protocol in place for it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, never mind that you know some of the people that have been you know killed might be your friends and family. Uh, there, there's going to be people in here to you know. Uh, Start for their lunch rush here in just a few minutes. So, you know, we gotta, gotta move all these bodies out and, uh, you know, just sort of t- put s- put them in the recycling system.
1: Mm. Which also, I mean, if you read the comics, you know what they're recycling the bodies for.
0: Well, uh, where does everyone's, uh, you know, perishables go and food come from?
1: Yeah, we saw the outside world in this. They're not farming. Yeah. So
0: uh, the, uh, the statement by the corrupt cops about meat grinders is maybe uh, quite apt.
1: Yeah. You. You have, like several interesting levels of police problems in here. You've got Judge Dredd, who's going by the book, doing everything the way that he understands it to be the right thing and is causing an immense amount of harm. Mm -hmm. You have Anderson, who's trying to act as well as she can, but the system is forcing her into causing a massive amount of harm, and every now and then she can do something good and feel good about it. Yes.
0: You have to follow these rules, but uh, occasionally you have some leeway. But you kind of have to cope with the rule most of the time in order to pull it off.
1: You have the corrupt judges who have decided that if the entire system is broken, they may as well benefit from it, mm-hmm. which happens a lot. Interestingly, I'll get to that in a minute, but I think the way that they do handle corrupt judges in this series is kind of interesting. Uh, and you have the two judges who stand outside because they encountered a minor roadblock and don't care enough to try anymore. <laughs>
0: It's Like, eh, it's not really our problem uh, at this point uh, until this door is open, and well, the door is not opening, so we're just going to stand here.
1: Which is I'm kind of reminded by how in in New York recently they've really expanded general police presence, and everywhere you go, there are just two or three groups of of police just standing around on the subway platform texting.
0: I've uh, seen a a number of uh, you know posts on the social medias about you know. Uh, you know, cop gatherings where it's just like a whole group of them that are just on their phones, standing on platforms or, you know, on the corner or somewhere else, not really paying attention to anything other than their phones. Yeah. And, you know, it's like there's like a dozen officers here doing absolutely nothing other than, you know, just kind of chilling.
1: Oh, well, they're being there, I suppose. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I guess if someone yells for them, they might respond, maybe.
1: <laughs> I do think something that, uh, is sort of interesting in the way that this series like does handle their corruption is it's it's depressing because it's like the one thing in this world that is done slightly better Mm -hmm. because the corrupt judges are treated as a such massive failure of their justice system that they incur the harshest penalties of any crime
0: what when when you're uh general punishment for a lot of things is death that's must be something
1: basically their bodies are compl- are artificially augmented to work in a vacuum and they're sent to mine minerals on jupiter's moons until they die
0: huh well that sounds like it sucks which moon
1: i <laughs> ah, forget now and find it's it anime? with the judge Tread's brother oh. <laughs> but given all of that i think that the main thing that you hit with this movie particularly is it being a good action movie has not taken away the satirical elements. All that stuff is still there, but you have to look for it because it's first and foremost trying to be a good movie. Which means that if you're not looking for it, it's very easy to see this as a very heroic piece of propaganda.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know the, uh, the 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 top level surface stuff is like, oh yeah, cops going around just blowing people away. Hell yeah, sort of uh, you know view of things here. But if you kind of Thinking about anything in terms of the situation, how it's sort of set up, uh, and picking up on the little details of the settings, then you go like, wow, yeah, this world sucks, and what's going on here is a tragedy kind of all around, really.
1: It's demonstrative of the problem with satire generally, because if you're doing satire well, it looks enough like the thing you're satirizing that people can use it as that. Or interpreted yes. as
0: that—that's well, a uh, Poe's law, right? Your uh, satire is indistinguishable from the from the real thing. Well, it kind of depends on who you're talking to, uh, to a degree. Mm. Uh, there can be, uh, you know, situations where someone who is, uh, you know, you know, fully on board with something spots it as satire, and somebody else who's, you know, not on board, you know, doesn't, and this causes some weirdness. And where everyone dislikes something or the inverse of that, where the person who's fully on board is like, yeah, this is like totally behind my message here. And everyone else is like, are you sure? Because, yeah, this makes look like, makes you look like the bad guys.
1: Oh, there we go. I found the quote. Poe's law is an adage of Internet culture saying that without a clear indicator of the author's intent, any parodic or sarcastic expression of extreme views can be mistaken by some readers for a sincere expression of those views.
0: There we go. Yeah.
1: Which I'm reminded—I believe it was a Lindsay Ellis video from a bit ago. She pointed out that like Nazi groups are using "like the world belongs to us" from Cabaret, which is a satirical song about Nazis. Uh, mm-hmm. None of them use "Springtime for Hitler"
0: because yeah. <laughs> uh, you know one's a little more uh, obvious, and the the other one's a little less
1: so, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that's the satire i think that it i think it fundamentally is very middle ground as a work of science fiction satire if you're looking for it it's there and it's decently done but if you're not looking for it it's boom boom explosions look at the cool cop
0: yes and uh i guess hopefully if you're not you know looking deep enough uh you know for you know messages you'll only get the uh, the boom boom explosion side and not really get any message from it really, mm-hmm. which is yeah probably the best of both worlds in that case. But yeah,
1: <laughs> the only other real like slightly interesting thing that I did have with this is there's this movie was filmed mostly in Johannesburg, including partly like around uh, Ponte City, which is one of these mega block structures. Ah, Ponte City. It uh, it's. In Johannesburg, it's a giant like skyscraper apartment building with workshops, etc. the The middle of it got filled with rubble and trash after it was it abandoned to the point where they had to clean it out later. Apparently, they're revitalizing yeah. it a little bit.
0: Well, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, it uh, gets revitalized enough that uh, you know folks can find it a, a nice place to live.
1: Though interestingly, this one wasn't a failure of you know uh, structure like we have. We had a lot of this stuff in in New York a bit ago. They designed our public housing. And there was a theory that you could have the public housing all sort of face a panopticon park in the middle of the public housing. So, you know, everyone would have a nice place to congregate and everyone could keep an eye on everything. And what they didn't really realize they were doing was just blocking off an area from the outside street view. And it turned into just a bad place to be and led to it not working very well as intended.
0: So uh it's sort of became its own little world there in that case, which you know, is kind of what we're seeing in the movie here
1: but uh this this place in Johannesburg apparently was built uh, during apartheid, and they intended it to be only for rich white residents, but people refused to you know obey the apartheid thing, and they moved in people who they didn't want to be moving in, and the city decided to cut off all services from the building
0: well that's kind of a jerk water
1: move. power everything
0: so uh suddenly you're you know in the nice building here and suddenly you don't have any you know resources and well eventually you're either going to move out or going to have to figure out some other uh, way to make do
1: here yeah so that one wasn't a that one was an intentional governmental failure not a structural failure
0: i'm uh now looking at uh some uh, pictures of that uh internal uh sort of uh atrium there and uh I think I remember some of this from um, Chappie, actually.
1: Mm. Yeah, probably. Yeah,
0: they, uh, they make uh, a lot of use of sort of places like this uh, for that film. Yeah, it's a uh, kind of an intense interior there, and this is uh, apparently be- before the uh, revitalization got under work here, because there's
1: still a lot of debris everywhere. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there. They revitalized. They had to clear it out for I think the Chappie filming before they put some junk back in for the yep. movie. <laughs>
0: you know uh, I, uh according to the wikipedia here the uh apparently the building has been totally refurbished is now desirable and affordable
1: yeah huh so cool. hopefully that works out
0: i i guess uh one of the things uh, i wanted to kind of talk to is uh, talk about is how did they get to this point in terms of uh this uh this world we have are being shown on the movie and you know not going to do uh, details about you know you know atomic wars and everything like that but you know Once you have sort of your, everyone's now living in a giant city. How do you sort of devolve to this state of being in terms of you know uh, social structures and just the chaos and also the highly regimental side of it, where the chaos is sort of being, uh you know you know sort of un you know is being treated in a very sort of professional and exacting way in terms of having you know uh you know a whole set of emergency services to. Clean up the, thir- the, the food court in 30 minutes or less.
1: Well, you can, you can definitely see the, like, the thing that they're expanding on happening now all over America and England because mm-hmm. you know that's what they're doing. I've, in fact, found several articles about just how prophetic a lot of the storylines in this are because they had storylines from like the 80s and 90s that almost exactly predicted the way that the police handled Black Lives Matter protests.
0: You know, instead of, you know, letting people protest and just kind of, you know, standing aside and letting them, you know, get their anger out, we're going to start shooting tear gas at them because, you know, getting them uh, more, uh, you know, you uh, know, antsy is, uh, you know, going to be useful because now now obviously the uh, the one broken window over here that's totally involved in the protests and now cracked on on everybody and just kind of start carting them off to jail.
1: Well, they had had a whole storyline about pro-democratic protesters and the judges' council publicly supported everyone's right to say things and protest and free speech and then behind the scenes decided that they had to put it down and put in infiltrators to... Ensure that violence would occur and give them an excuse. Mm-hmm. Just all kinds of things that actually happen. Yes,
0: <laughs> I remember uh, reading some uh, uh, articles about a uh, fellow who was—I uh, th- I think it was—I uh, forget if they were. I think they were hired by uh, a federal agency to basically go into Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, protests and groups, uh, you know, in Colorado specifically and you know, some of the surrounding states to basically stir up trouble in order to. You know, uh, we could provide excuses for you know uh, uh, the cops to crack down on them. Uh, so you know, there'd be this guy who, up until he got on the pay- on the payroll here, was actually a you know a very obnoxious white supremacist. Now, who's <laughs> now fully on board with his plan, and not just for the money, but because he sees this as a way to basically you know uh, you know further oppress the people he doesn't like. And so, you know, for a while he would be sort of showing up at places and people started catching on that. This guy seemed to be the one who's always, you know, pointing out, Hey, we need to be, uh, picking up our game and getting a little bit more, uh, throwing bricks ha- happy here. And, you know, to the point that eventually they kind of actually did some research on him. And it's like, yeah, we're not going to like allow this guy anywhere near our people anymore because he's, you know, we're not hundred percent sure at this point, but we're pretty sure he's actually a, a plant. And, uh, Eventually all the information came out and yeah, so, <laughs> so it was sort of like, yeah, this is a, a thing that happens. This is a, a you know, a, a technique that is put to use and it's, isn't a new thing either actually, uh, you know, uh, you know, back in the, uh, you know, uh, you know, sixties and things like that, you know, it's like, yeah, we got to get, um, these, uh, peace protesters, uh, real riled up and, uh, you know, the, you know, J. Edgar Hoover is like, yeah, let's, uh, we got to, you know, put these uh, hippies down and, but I can't just, you know, start arresting people for no reason. Hmm, maybe if I get some informants there to uh, cause a ruckus, yeah. they well, even yeah, predating so, that
1: when they were hiring yeah. private security firms to mm-hmm. break up unions, yep, instilling agitators to make them look violent so they had an excuse to start shooting people.
0: Exactly. And so this is a, a time-honored technique of uh, the oppressor.
1: Looking back to your original point of how does a society get to a place like this, you can see the thing that they're satirizing happening all over America now, which is any time that there's a supposed spike in crime, and I say supposed because a lot of those are either statistical anomalies or complete misreadings of data, or we changed the way that a certain agency is defining crime to include mm-hmm. some extra stuff, and therefore you see a sudden spike in crime.
0: Yes, so uh, we're now uh, counting uh, moving violations as violent crime.
1: Yeah. What? <laughs> so you see a you know spike in crime, and everyone goes, "Well, the thing that we do about crime is police. So get more police to deal with the more crime." Makes sense if you buy into the initial premise that the way to deal with crime is police, which most people have.
0: Yeah, and I don't, but uh, there's a lot of people out there that that have, and uh, and uh, not only that, but you know there are plenty of folks that you know view the police uh, as. You know, not just those who arrest people, but, you know, have a, you know, sort of an extra responsibility to take care of problems, as it were, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, they don't trust the justice system to take care of. Um, And
1: then, of course, crime eventually goes down, probably statistically, because that's just what it does. It goes up and down mm -hmm. uh, or they change how they're measuring something, et cetera, et cetera people go well Our more police worked yep (laughs) we should keep doing that we should keep it at this level at least maybe more because it was working so well then statistically stuff goes up again because of general statistical analysis stuff normal Mm -hmm. variation etc everyone freaks out everyone goes hey we could put in more police and it just keeps ballooning it's like the american military it's very very unpopular to say we need to give them less money or resources it's very very popular to say let's give them more money and resources
0: and just keep uh, upping the budget upping the personnel numbers and uh and then pretty soon you have a bunch of cops hanging out on the subway platform uh, looking at their phones
1: they have a lot and, of stuff that i'm not yeah. going to be able to go into complete detail on because i've seen like several entire hour-long shows dedicated to covering this stuff
0: you talking about like military hardware and uh you know our personnel carriers and yeah. uh high tech you know you know weaponry
1: I know I'd I'd recommend looking up the last week tonight episodes on police militarization because they handle it a lot a lot better than I can um with a lot more research mm-hmm. but yeah at after homeland security became a thing you know with all of our anti-terrorism stuff uh they started selling military hardware to local police because it's how you deal with terrorism and then of course once an organization has military hardware they're going to find a way to use it for something
0: yes uh <laughs> yeah it's like well uh you know never mind that uh you know we don't really have a good way to use a rocket launcher you know, for anything other than exploding things, we're going to figure out some way, excuse to use it. So let's
1: go, guys. Then also a few years ago, um, you had a very public, organized effort from white supremacist organizations to instill their members into high-level police positions.
0: Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this, this sort of thing, you know, having their membership join police forces is not new, but having such an organized uh, sort of effort to do it is kind of
1: unusual, yes. And that's gone reported on. It was it was public. They weren't trying to hide it. Yep. And no one seems to care. Nothing's being proposed to do anything about this. It's just a thing that's there. Most most police in America are taken over by white supremacist organizations.
0: Yes, and uh, and you know part of the indoctrination is even you know pushed in that direction as well. Uh, you yeah, know, I've read numerous articles about, uh, uh, you know, sort of police, policing experts, providing extra training on how to handle all these new situations that we're running into these days. And yes, uh, you know, if you feel at all threatened by basically anything, even if it's not a deadly weapon, just go ahead and kill the person you're looking at and he will solve all your problems.
1: There's been like a culture of police fear and othering that's being fostered by a lot of training programs that are getting governmental money like like people have figured out a way to basically scam their way into being ex like external consultants and they do Mm -hmm. like uh training programs and seminars and they basically say everyone in the world is against you everyone who's not a cop wants you dead and the thing that you need to do is respond with deadly force to keep yourself safe.
0: Yeah, so uh, basically they are, you know, <laughs> preaching a very Judge Dredd sort of level of enforcement. Maybe even more, uh, you know, even more extreme, honestly, because you know, at least with Dredd, he might be an asshole, but he still has some rules. They're not good rules, but they're there.
1: <laughs> when I was younger, when I was a kid, I didn't know any of this stuff. I liked the idea of the police. I was interested in it. I went and joined their young training group, the like they call it the Police Explorers. And I mm-hmm. spent a few months doing things with them, which is some like intro training, some introduction to stuff. Eventually you get to an area to a level where you start like helping out doing security at events and things. And Just the culture and even that segment of the police that I was exposed to was extremely us versus them. It was people who basically publicly stated that they thought that their options in life were to join a gang and start killing people or go into the police and start killing people. And I'm I'm trying not to exaggerate. That is the way that the people around me were talking about themselves.
0: And yeah, which is a really absurd sort of worldview there when you sort of, you know, look at any sort of reality here, but it is what is being preached. And well, if it's what's being preached, then, you know, this is suggested that either they believe it fully or they want you to believe it fully that, you know, it's all about chasing down and hurting the bad guys.
1: Yeah. And you can see this like fear stoking mentality that you can see is manifesting itself in such absurd ways. We have all of these recent, uh, recent extrajudicial killings that are being ignored or excused because, of course, they're afraid. Like, <laughs> including absurd things like the woman who went into the wrong apartment and decided to start shooting because she was afraid, who basically faced very few consequences because, oh no, she was scared in that situation. And cops can do that, I guess.
0: And uh, I believe the uh, main reason she got, you know, uh, actually charged there was that she wasn't actually on duty. So, you know.
1: Yeah actually, that happened after the fact and didn't really incur much.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So, like, well, at least they're being held responsible somewhat, I guess, in this one case, due to specifics of the circumstances, but in many others, not so much.
1: And all of the recent stuff, like, currently surrounding the general fear of, of fentanyl as a drug that police officers on duty will pick up a piece of paper that they've convinced themselves was dosed with a deadly chemical and pass out. (laughs)
0: It's like, yeah, he passed out from fentanyl. We checked and there's no fentanyl there.
1: But also it doesn't do that. You can't (laughs) absorb it through your skin like that. But
0: they've believed a a certain uh, myth about it and fully internalized it to this point that they're going to react to it even if it makes no sense
1: i'm trying not to be hyperbolic in this discussion because it's easy to get riled up with all of the horrible stuff that's going on and i don't think it's useful to just rant about things Mm -hmm. but
0: but we're kind of at a point where the things have become so ridiculous that you know the, the the hyperbolic view and the reality of it isn't so far away yeah
1: we're we are essentially at a point where we just have a massive segment of the of budget and resources going to a large number of armed super on edge basically paranoid individuals who face no consequences for any action they choose to take
0: indeed I don't uh, a- kind of reminds me of um i don't know it's like some sort of like anarchy almost situation where you know the uh, the uh, the those who are, have all the guns are going to be making the rules here and uh, all the rest of us well too bad
1: hmm That that's not often how anarchy functions when you yeah. actually look into it
0: yeah well you know the 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 uh, the, the version of anarchy that most Americans uh, <laughs> believe is anarchy
1: well not even like a political system anarchy which is yeah. so far divorced from that that's not even comparable. But like yeah. situations that people find themselves in where there is no law enforcement usually do not suddenly devolve into gang wars. Nope.
0: <laughs> you know, the the uh I guess maybe a better comparison is maybe some sort of uh, you know, early middle ages feudalism situation where there's a bunch of roving knights here that if they so wanted to, they could just start extorting you for all your money as you go around your day, and you know because they're the knights, the people with the swords, they're gonna be uh, you know, they're kind of being uh, you know allowed to do that. And if you uh complain too much, then the uh, the lord over there who has his own knights is gonna be like, no, they're in the right, give them the money. Otherwise, we're gonna stab you.
1: Even our modern interpretation of why police need this much power, as portrayed in many of these cop sort of things like Judge Dredd, you have the police as an organization. And because it would be ridiculous in fiction to have the police against some random dude, because you have an entire well-armed, trained organization against some random dude committing crime, you have them against a militarized gang. Yeah. Which essentially is a myth for most <laughs> purposes. You have some amount of truth when you get into organized, organized drug organizations like organized crime surrounding south american drug cartels etc you can get into a level where people have essentially formed their own governments and have quite violent regimes but the thing that a lot of this was based on was this myth surrounding gangs in like you know new york and la in which there was violence there were problems Largely due to the fact that governmental systems had completely given up on providing social services anymore. And there were violent instances, but usually in the same way that there are now. Like people who know each other get upset and unfortunately do violent things to each other because that's how most violence happens. Like Indeed, yeah. there weren't these massive territorial gang wars there weren't places where you the police would fear to tread etc most of that was was hyperbolic myth making used to fuel white flight into the suburbs
0: and uh you know what areas that are you know quote fear to tread is more of a we just don't actually care about that area we're not really afraid it just you know, they're not the people that are, you know, going to be uh, making decisions about my day-to-day, so screw them. Yeah. And, you know, if anyone calls them out, oh, I'm totally afraid to go there. That's why I don't go there. The
1: stuff that militarized our peace, our police originally, this idea that they had to keep the peace in these places, was just racism for the most part. Yep. Like, the Black Panthers were primarily a social organization. They They did a lot of, like, community food kitchens, community organizing... Like, some internal self-policing of places that weren't getting police support at all. What what little stuff you can get from that. And the government saw that many people organizing as a threat, came up with an idea of them being incredibly violent, and actually firebombed a few places.
0: Yeah. It's like, oh, uh, you're trying to take over our job that we're not doing Well, uh, that means you have to die now because, you know,
1: I forget the place it was like one of these places that would have been labeled like a gang started their own ambulance company because, you know, ambulances wouldn't go to black neighborhoods.
0: Oh, you know, we're actually helping the people here to the point where they were so
1: much better at it than the official system that they later got folded in. And a lot of what we have as normal EMT practices now was started by that group.
0: So, uh, you know, good on them for, uh, you know, stepping up and, uh, you know, <laughs> trying to help their own community and, you know, as a result, actually helping everybody.
1: But that's often the level of things that we're talking about when we have these mythical, you know, gang situations.
0: <laughs> oh, well, there's a, 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 arms race going on here on the streets, uh, blah, 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 blah. And no, that's not actually what's going on here. <sighs> but, uh, I, I guess, you know, you know, maybe, you know, uh, you know, Draw the uh, a little bit of a, a circle back to your uh, comment about uh, sort of a you know government uh, you know related uh, uh, you know um, uh, big cartels and things like that, you know in the movie here to get that kind of hardware there's sort of a suggestion then that okay where are you getting this kind of weaponry here that sort of suggests that to me at least that uh, Mama's Gang has some sort of high level connections not the right kind of connections to make the uh, the judge just go away forever but. It does, uh, you know, mean that somebody in power of authority is going to be, you know, has some investment here. And the fact that the judges are only going after the gang part of it and not that higher level part of it is also kind of telling in terms of what their priorities are.
1: Yeah. And you see a lot of this, like, street enforcement stuff. This is like a, it's kind of a, it's a weird sort of almost like trickle up economics system. We, we. (laughs) Kinda. <laughs> we started this stupid theory in New York a while ago. It was like uh, the broken, broken windows. windows. The theory being that, you know, small crimes incur larger crimes. It's called broken windows because the idea is like, if you see a building with a broken window, people are going to take that as an invitation to do further vandalism.
0: <laughs> Which that's not how people like make decisions like at all. Yeah.
1: So you saw this in really stupid things like a crackdown on jaywalking because you know if people see people just crossing the street willy-nilly well that's just going to encourage more crime because lawless etc and the crackdown on like graffiti in the city because it's just going to create an environment of of lawlessness and ugly cityscapes etc even
0: though some of the graffiti is uh, that gets put up is actually like way better than like a lot of like big art you know, installations yeah <laughs> like uh...
1: i thought it was funny very recently someone was able to cover one of our trains in graffiti which almost never happens anymore <laughs> and the uh, the local transit people tried to make it this big oh my god the scourge that we tried so hard to get rid of is back and I was like what are you talking about you idiots cover the trains with advertising this looks great <laughs>
0: Yes, <laughs> this is better than what you're putting up, so leave it alone, please.
1: But a lot of that, like, culminated in very, very racist police practices, like stop and frisk, which was found to be racist, constitutionally. Uh, yes. <laughs> that was just an excuse for police to be able to bother anyone that they felt like at any given time, which was often not white people.
0: Indeed. It's like, well, uh, we now have an excuse to basically be as, you know, jerks to anyone we like. So, uh, who are we going to be jerks to? Well, uh. Well, there's these, uh, you know, non-white people over there.
1: Yeah, and yeah. then we rec- we got rid of that for a little bit. We recently had it brought back by New York's current mayor. And last week, I think, they did an analysis that found that they are exclusively targeting black and brown people. Surprise, surprise.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, can you guys, like, ever get a
1: mayor that doesn't suck? We, we try sometimes. I don't know. Yeah. So uh Gepin for Mayor. Our choices last time were a were, were a literal cop and a guy who runs subway vigilantes.
0: Oh dear. That really does suck. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. So get one for mayor. There is, I guess, also the I guess the political will for uh you know to, to to put these sort of uh you know uh you know mayors and things like that into place as well as other politicians, uh does come, you know, from a portion of the population. Who are like, oh yeah, this actually makes a lot of sense here. And this is, you know, having so many police there is actually a great thing because we're believing all the propaganda here. And uh, yeah, we're A-OK with this because we're not the ones being targeted. Which, one, sucks in terms of, you know, general uh, uh, politics here. Because it definitely encourages people that really shouldn't be in office to be elected to things. Uh, and uh, second, it results in these horrible policies that we've been talking about so far. Um, and uh, what more, there is plenty of will out there for you know you know from certain segments of the population for the cops to be even more extreme and more you know able to use violence at their discretion to basically be okay with you know Judge Dredd sort of judges wandering around and you know you know executing people in the streets you know just because they're the law as it were. And, uh, it, you know, I, I, I mentioned uh, Gepwin before I started recording here, but, uh, you know, some of these people are in my own community here. Uh, I was uh, on one of the social media platforms. I noticed a uh, lady who was uh, talking about a uh, recent shooting here, just like the other day. And, uh, you know, uh, in several of the comments there were folks like, yeah, I really kind of wish the cops would have just taken care of the guy that, uh, you know, uh, you know, shot those kids there. And It's like, well, it's... Terrible that you have some random Yahoo killing you know kids here, but it's also not the cops' duty to execute people just willingly, and it really shouldn't be. So please stop trying to encourage that sort of perspective here, please, because you know we are supposed to have a justice system in this country. It's not great, and it could be a lot better, but let's at least let it have an opportunity to deal with uh, the folks that are being arrested. By actually having them be arrested and not just kill on the spot.
1: Yeah. Now you have that that old saying, if the only thing you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm -hmm. This is the solution that we have given people. So you wind up in this bad situation where even people who are very negatively affected, even communities that are negatively affected by police involvement, you wind up getting... Trotted out as examples of why people want there to be police because they go, Well, there's a lot of bad stuff happening in our community. The only thing that's being offered to us is police involvement. Could we get some of that, please? Because we're not getting any right now.
0: Yeah, it would be nice to, you know, get things that actually work, but. But this is what we have. Yeah, that's what we have. So. (laughs) It's
1: like if the only thing you have is moldy bread and you have a bunch of people who are starving and they go, I want some moldy bread because it's the only thing to eat and then you turn around and say see how much people love moldy bread. Yep.
0: <laughs> they're just eating it up and you know stuffing their faces with it. It's great. Everyone's really excited and happy and you know they're going to be uh, a okay about this uh 100% going forward, right?
1: Mhm. The real thing to take away from any of this, especially like the stuff you were talking about where people are calling for there to be more power, stuff getting taken care of quickly. Stuff has gone immensely wrong right now there is a lot of bad stuff happening a lot of stuff is breaking down there are a lot of compounding problems and mm. we're giving people very few options that feel like they're doing anything like as horrible as it is a police officer shooting someone who you perceive to be a threat is an immediate action that's having an immediate consequence
0: i'm suddenly reminded of all those folks that were uh complaining about uh, you know millennials and zoomers having you know instant gratification addiction this is basically the same thing but for kind of everybody
1: mm-hmm. i mean it's the system that we have that stuff changes slowly we have changed we have these things happening over time but when you have something that's incredibly broken right in front of your face you don't want someone to come to you and say we will fix this in four to five years mm-hmm. I want a solution now. Especially when a lot of those solutions fail to pan out. We aren't doing very well on taking care of anyone. We're gutting all of our social programs in order to fund more and more police intervention. Like we have the only thing that we have is the police to handle ninety percent of situations in this country, and so we're going to use them that way.
0: Yeah, you know, there's a there's a reason there's a, a lot of folks now that are turning on to the idea of Maybe we should have emergency services offer up different options to maybe solve some of our problems, not just the police. Like if someone's having a mental health emergency, maybe don't send the person with the gun there. Maybe send someone who knows what they're doing when it comes to folks that are kind of uh, having a bad time there. And maybe we'll have better slu- uh, you know, outcomes as a result. Maybe there'll be less people being shot randomly as, you know, as a result. That Maybe we'll actually have people's lives improved.
1: You know, we talked about this a bit in the Wesley's Going to Be Executed episode. Yes. Because they have a dictatorial police system.
0: Mm -hmm. It's very arbitrary, but that's what it is.
1: And we talked about the the two ways to view crime. And we move very far away from the idea that crime is something that is an outcome of bad situations. We like our idea that there are just good and bad people. It's something inborn, if you live right and do the right things, you will be rewarded, etc. So, when you have crimes, you have two fundamental ways that you could deal with the fact that there are crimes. You could remove the incentive for the crime, or you could try to punish people enough that they stop doing the crimes. So if somebody steals bread, you could feed the person so they don't need to steal food anymore, or you could execute them so they can't steal food anymore. Both things are going to prevent them from stealing food in the future.
0: Yeah, just one of them results in a dead person, too. And the other one? Well, I guess there's less bread for the billionaire over there, but who cares? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it would be nice to, uh, to be going with the uh, just feeding people option a little bit more, but uh, we need to, like, actually get out there and convince people that maybe there is a better way to go forward to actually solve our problems as opposed to just treat the symptoms and then leave bodies in its
1: wake. They don't go into it in in this, but they they even say that as much power and resources and technology as they've given this police force, which seems to be a decent amount given what we're working with here, Mm -hmm. they can respond to about 6% of what's happening, which means they're doing nothing. (laughs) All of this, all of this stuff, all of this destruction, all of this human misery, all of this resource is doing nothing.
0: There's still a a lot of, uh, you know, a crime that they consider serious going on that they're just completely letting go go by and they're uh, only uh, nipping around the edges of it.
1: And we have a lot of that in our world. We have massively overfunded police budgets in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. And they're taking resources out of things that demonstrably reduce crime way more. Yes. That, that you could take a- like half of the police budget in New York, take care of most of our unhoused situation just by giving people places to live with our bloated mm-hmm. police budget. And that would get rid of a lot of crime on the scale because we, not because unhoused people, commit a lot of horrible violent crimes, but because we have defined anything that someone does while they don't have a home to be a crime.
0: Yep. <laughs> there is a uh, moment early in the movie where uh dread pauses and looks at the guy with the uh the the, the sign there and is like, I'm you know, you know, your, your crime is vagrancy and uh and uh you know talks to Anderson and like, you know, don't be here when we get back. And you know, that's like All right, well, I guess they're at least prioritizing here in the movie in terms of what they want to focus on, but they also would basically lock this guy up for being homeless, and that's a thing that we do in real life. Yep, Yep.
1: because that makes some amount of sense for some reason. (laughs) but yeah because someone's inconveniently occupying space around you we've made it illegal Mm -hmm. but we don't take care of it we do the op we do the other thing which is say we have enough police to arrest them or move them out or scare them off instead of funding something that would make the situation better which from most analyses would probably be cheaper and more effective (laughs) yep
0: (laughs) but instead we're going to uh you know put people on bu- uh, buses and send them out of state for some other people to deal with. And then they, they do the same thing or arrest them or we're going, or they're going to, uh, you know, kick them out of the city. And it's like, well, I guess you have to be a drifter now because there's no places where you can actually, you know, stop. And yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that kind of sucks right now. Yeah. Maybe we should change it for the better. supposed to, you know, keep doing the same thing, but don't doing over and over again.
1: You can try, but you're going against what? I mean, in New York, if you ranked it, the New the NYPD is the third largest military on the planet.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, budget and and, and uh, people, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Geppelin for mayor to maybe change some of that. Gepin, sorry, I'm you don't have any choice now. You're running for mayor. Okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Uh, I'll let someone know at some point. I know I'm not <laughs>
1: going to get through the primaries, so I guess that's fine.
0: Uh, 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 even getting into the primaries in New York is kind of weird from uh, last I uh, read up on uh, election law there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you kind of have to jump through lots of hoops because, you know, putting blocks in place to discourage people that are outsiders from getting involved is kind of a thing that happens. Yeah. Because, you know.
1: Oh, yeah. Half of happen. our city government was designed by the mob. It's great. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Can't have outsiders actually, you know, getting involved in politics here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So yeah, anyway, <laughs> man, that got depressing. Yeah.
1: Well, we could probably talk about this all day if we wanted to, but we don't. Yeah, maybe,
0: maybe we will someday.
1: Yeah, look forward to our live streams where we just gripe about bad police practices for 24 hours.
0: Uh, well, uh, I, I guess uh, this may be a, a good opportunity for me to... Uh, yeah. I don't remember if I've shared it here before, but uh, one of my uh, favorite solutions to... Uh, over policing, corrupt policing, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, that I've seen that has actually happened in the real uh, real world happened in the country of Georgia. So a former Soviet Republic, you know, is, you know, a few years out from you know independence there. They had a huge problem with uh basically having too many police and that they were basically, you know, uh, you know, extorting people uh in you know on the road and things like that, where it's like, oh yes, uh you, you know, I pulled you over and I'll come up with a reason to, you know, say, seize your car and put you in jail, or you can pay me a lot of money. And so the, uh, the government, you know, got really tired of this and was like, you know, we could change the rules here slightly. And where they put it into, uh, into practice that if there was basically any complaint about this kind of corruption against an officer, they would immediately be fired. Pretty soon they had no traffic cops. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a lot of other, uh, you know, police were let go as well, uh, and to the point that they had very few people left on the force. And eventually, they did basically reorganize their, you know, policing, you know, uh, you know, you know, in the country, and start training up new folks that were completely separate and not inheriting the same sort of practices that their predecessors had, in order to, uh, you know, take over the you know, the basic rules there. And they didn't have that sort of problem anymore. So yeah (laughs) so uh if you want to have police maybe uh maybe that's the the pattern you want to go with here
1: it reminds me of a thing like (laughs) i couldn't find it i believe it was like a smaller city decided they were going to do something that wasn't police structurally similar but Mm -hmm. they just said every police officer is fired you can reapply to do the new thing if you want to Every there single person who had been a problem did not reapply because they said they were doing something different.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, apparently, uh, you uh, you have it out there, and so you really shouldn't have been a police officer anyway. Perhaps you know, because mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, whatever your side gig here is now, your full gig, and yeah.
1: Hmm. All right, maybe at yeah. some point we'll talk about this for several more hours. There's, there's so many police are good things in the 90s. I'm sure we're going to hit more. Yeah,
0: <laughs> in one way or another,
1: but. Uh, but what, what are we gonna do in the meantime then, Cap One? On well, the meantime, it's time for the galaxy's favorite game show. Woo-hoo.
0: Hey, everybody! Welcome to the galaxy's favorite game show, where uh, we're gonna be shouting "A cabin" a lot, but uh, you know how it goes. Anyway, we got some uh, various contestants here to uh, be uh, awarded prizes, and uh, let's go ahead and get started here. The first prizes, which is the after-school uh, special prizes, goes to the two teens that tried to go after Dread and crew and uh, kind of end up uh, t- getting uh, teaching them being taught a lesson and teaching the audience at home, all those kids in the audience watching this hyper-violent movie, to not try to capture or murder a judge. What do they win, Kepwin.
1: They win violent video games. Because it would undoubtedly be way better than what they're actually doing.
0: Indeed. Yeah, you don't have to put your own uh, neck at risk here. Uh, you know, you want to, uh, you know, explode uh, space aliens or something like that. So maybe uh, go play as a video games, kid. Uh, try not to, you know, get involved in these sort of gang wars here. Our second prize is the Millennial Job Outlook Prize, which goes to the citizens of Peachtree Tower, who, despite living in a marvel of engineering, live in kind of a state of abject poverty and squalor and all sorts of horribleness. What do they win, Gepwin?
1: They win an avocado toast place because all they have to do is not buy from there and suddenly they'll have everything they need.
0: Wow, it's solution to all their problems, clearly. <laughs> Our third prize is the Mind Screw Prize, which goes to uh, Judge A- uh, in Training Temporary Anderson for, uh, do- for doing this decay. Uh, likely leaving him in just right the place to get himself disarmed later by, you know, rattling his brain all around in order to get the information she wanted.
1: What does she win, Gepwin? She wins if she decides to retire from this dead-end career. A job as an entertainer, so you could just give people all kinds of weird mental stuff. No hangover, no whatever. You just stand in a room with her for a bit, and everything's great.
0: Mm-hmm. Suddenly everything's turning up Millhouse. Wait, um... <laughs> Our, uh, next prize is the not-dead-yet prize, which goes to Dread himself for surviving oh so much that was thrown at him, and only really ending up with a few survivable injuries, you know, give or take a med kit. Uh, what does he win, Gepwin?
1: Dred wins his internal existential life of, you know, of complete, like, misery, trying to fight for something that he can never achieve, and being an all-around symbol for how screwed everything is.
0: Well, I, I hope he, uh, maybe learns something from all of that, and, uh... Maybe maybe has some uh, character evolution beyond being slightly uh, deferential to Anderson, maybe. Anyway, our last prize here is the More Mordaka prize, which goes to Mama and her gang, because Jeepers, they got a lot of bullets.
1: Uh, what do they win, Gapwin? They win some red paint for their cars and getaway drivers and things, because the van wasn't red. It probably would have gotten away and gone faster <laughs> if it was red. Everyone <laughs> knows this. <laughs>
0: And maybe, like, a, a racing stripe on the side, uh, which you know, would have to be either be a different color of red or, like, yellow or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, you can just put that on as decal, it's fine. Um, but, yeah, so, uh, so yeah, they could have uh, gotten away and uh, started up their drag empire somewhere else. Hmm. Anyway, that's all the prizes I got here today. Uh, the rest of them have been uh, confiscated as evidence. Um, so uh, feel free to take us away, Gapwin, before uh, you know, we get taken away.
1: Yeah, thank you for joining us in the dictatorial police state that we're calling the galaxy's favorite game show. Ooh, oh, God. Ooh. So, uh, that is a pretty wild movie. Yeah. It's very, very, very violent, but I liked it. Yeah.
0: Yes. Uh, I-, I have to say I, I enjoyed it, too, and uh, it is a... One of those movies that's kind of an experience, when you think about it.
1: Most most things are, in one way or another. <laughs> <laughs> but uh,
0: yeah, I, I I didn't really have time to talk about it earlier, but I do have to say I really kind of love this sort of brutalist block aesthetic thing going on here. And yeah, I know it's maybe kind of a depressing sort of environment to live in, but it is also kind of an interesting vibe that I kind
1: of like. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. I thought it was it like I I couldn't quite tell what they were going for beyond like, having like too pleasant of a name with like peach trees. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in the comics, all of the blocks are named for whichever weird ironic thing is happening at the time. Like <laughs> I had I had a collection that included a uh, a thing where they responded to Darwin Block, where a <laughs> retrovirus got out that started de-evolving everyone, mm. and Dread had to fight his way through a bunch of monkeys with guns.
0: The, the gun. The monkey has a gun. Ah!
1: Now would Bank probably made. get into stuff in other in like if they ever made sequels or if this TV show that they're talking about ever pans out. One of the main common things that they always had in uh, in the comics was block warfare, where two apartment buildings next to each other would just start shooting out the windows and having broadsides essentially.
0: <laughs> Deplore the cannons. Maybe that's why she had the Gatling gun. Yeah. Then. Uh, yeah. In case one of the other buildings got too close. <laughs> well, now it all makes sense.
1: <laughs> yeah. See? They had so much stuff to mine from. I understand why they went with this really tight little action movie thing, but uh, there was so much cool satirical stuff you could have done. Indeed. And, um,
0: you know, hopefully with a series, they'll uh, be able to pull out all the tricks uh, for
1: At it. least he didn't have a comedy sidekick.
0: You know, I, unless you count K as that. It's more of a hapless comedy sidekick. Yeah.
1: He had a joke or two before he got kicked to death. Yeah. Yes.
0: <laughs> and, uh,. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I, I guess maybe that's the, the best response we can have to a odious comic relief character.
1: Yes, do you, do you think uh, you think the original Judge Dread movie would have been better if, if they would have kicked him to death.
0: <laughs> Rob Snyder, you've uh, broken the noodle machine.
1: Kick. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that movie would have been way better if it was like, you've broken the law, and the sentence is death. That's all. You got one scene where you did a comedy thing with a noodle robot. Mm -hmm. And now you're gone. (laughs) That's all. Yes. I think I would have enjoyed that movie a lot better.
0: (laughs) But uh, yeah, uh, there's so much potential here in this uh, particular franchise. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad there's no Rob Schneider character this time. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Hooray. Okay. Now we're going back to something that's far less apocalyptic, even though this this includes apocalypses.
0: Yeah. In fact, I believe this uh, one contains an explosion, at least one. Yeah.
1: So, going back yeah. to Star Trek Next Generation, season 2, uh episode called Contagion, which mm-hmm. uh is not in fact one of the millions of pandemic episodes.
0: <laughs> well, this one's a little different. Uh there's uh, some uh returning uh folks of uh, you know, pointed ear sort of variety and they're not Vulcans.
1: Yeah, I always um I always enjoyed this episode a lot as a kid because it sets up this ancient civilization mystery thing that I was really into mm-hmm. because they the the enterprise goes out and finds that its sister ship has discovered the home world of the Iconians this this yes. mythical ancient race that had a world spanning empire mythical technology yeah yes
0: <laughs> yeah Iconians uh one of those uh ancient uh aliens even in Star Trek where they did things yeah. that's pretty crazy and uh and uh they had artifacts left over for us to find so maybe let's go on a little yeah. bit of a scavenger
1: hunt hey eh? yeah we got a scavenger hunt we're gonna find cool stuff we're gonna do archaeology I love the arche- I love the space archaeology episodes yes and uh
0: it would be kind of nice to see more of that sort of stuff going forward uh yeah and uh There was a couple uh, sort of uh, bits in uh, Strange New Worlds uh, that was sort of in that vein. Uh, But, you know, there was also other stuff going on there. But uh, more Iconians, please.
1: (laughs) Well, unfortunately, we got more Iconians in the non-canon stuff because they are, for some reason, the main antagonist of Star Trek Online. Huh. That's a little weird. I thought they were all dead. And they are retconned to have escaped somewhere, be running stuff behind the scenes. They are, in fact... The retconned bad guys who are secretly behind every unresolved plot line in every episode of Star Trek ever.
0: Wait a moment. So they're
1: they're behind the the bluegill parasites. Yes.
0: Uh, they're behind. Uh, oh, uh, you know uh, what eventually happened to uh, Thomas Riker?
1: I didn't see that, but probably. But they, that's how I found this. I was looking up the bluegills for the for the end of the last season. And it's like, oh, they were genetically engineered by the Iconians to to come in and try to take over the Federation. It's like, what is this? What what happened here?
0: <laughs> they're behind uh, the reason that there's apparently multiple mere universes, sort of, because Captain Janeway is like also has an evil version with
1: a evil Starfleet uniform. That might have been the Borg. I can't remember, but they oh. <laughs> <laughs> they're responsible for the Borg. Maybe. This whole freaking thing. For some reason, some idiot decided that they have to take all of Star Trek continuity and and retcon it into a stupid X Men style. Everyone's their own grandfather.
0: <laughs> you don't have to do that, guys. Yeah, you know, having you know, occasional connections can be fun. Having everything connected is a little insane.
1: Yeah, like there, there's a reason that Futurama kept making fun of the fact that Fry was his own great grandfather.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> No, yeah, and because uh, it's stop a it. uh, yeah, you can stop it, guys. It's it's a silly trope, so stop it. Yeah. Anyway, though, I I will say that next episode though does have an important first. Mm. Uh, Picard discovers tea. <laughs> Earl Grey, hot.
1: But he doesn't get it anyway. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so next time the Enterprise is going to be attacked by a giant blue ball, huge and large. So yeah, Contagion. <laughs> one of my favorite episodes, even though it's not really that good.
0: That's okay. You know. <laughs> Sometimes it's okay to uh, like things that are kind of meh. <laughs> There's plenty of stuff that I enjoy that, you know, is not very good. Um, but, uh, you know, it's like the, uh, I keep running into uh, shows out in the wild. There's like, this is really good. And then they kind of compress five episodes into two because they only have 10 episodes in a season for some reason.
1: Yeah. Budget. <laughs> so
0: this, this went from being pretty good to really crap. Um, but I still like it. So. Executives
1: <laughs> ruin everything is yes. the takeaway there.
0: Yeah. Star Trek Contagion Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow Romulans They're back You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow a podcast on science fiction media Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbeam YouTube Spotify iTunes Google Play Stitcher Pocketcast Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Izix, on youtube.com slash Dr. and Twitter at IzixLP. Music is Waveform and Morris Principle, both by D-R-K-R-N. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists.